an English teacher diagnosed with a brain tumour, deciding to live her life to the fullest and help those around her. A bullied student who turns to his favourite teacher for support. A band on the verge of mainstream success who needs someone to help pull them together. Dreams of a Damselfly is my debut novel and is now available in Kindle and paperback formats. Search Dreams of a Damselfly on Amazon or follow the link in the description of this episode. Talgo of Foudrin, Chapter 6 Jadir Talgo spent the next three days in Galhalla, awaiting the wizard's decision. They often met in privacy, and usually at nights when Talgo went to bed. He wondered what exactly it was they were debating. He'd known from the beginning that there was some issue with Talgo accompanying the wizards to Jadir, but couldn't place why. Perhaps the journey would be dangerous, or perhaps what the wizards were planning was of the strictest secrecy. In any case... Talgo decided he'd much rather have them come to a decision sooner rather than later. It was the waiting that was difficult. On the third day, Talgo had been sweeping the hall where they ate when Kilnor Whitecloak appeared. Talgo, he said, we have reached a decision. You may come with us. We leave on the morrow. And with that, Kilnor disappeared. The next morning, Talgo found the wizards packing their belongings and supplies into bags of all shapes and sizes. He aided them in carrying the bags over to the great wooden door that had swung open when the Skurgs had rushed to it with their tree. How are we to carry all of this to the deer? Talgo asked. Then, when he'd had an intriguing idea he couldn't keep to himself, added, Will you use magic? Dalsur Bluecloak laughed at this. Magic, my dear sweet boy! How much you have to learn about this wide world of ours. They ate a quick breakfast of bread, ham and fish, served with a hot drink the wizards called tea. It had a strange taste to it, which Talgo didn't particularly like, but he emptied his mug anyway. When the plates and mugs were cleared and put away, Talgo and the wizards exited the tower to find five horses awaiting their baggage. Have you ever ridden a horse, Talgo? Jeter Redcloak asked. Never, Talgo said nervously. Don't worry, Talgo, Dalsur said. You may ride with me. Will you help me with my bags? Once the party were ready, they mounted their horses and began their journey. Talgo found it strangely comforting on the back of Dalsur's horse. He held on to the blue wizard's robes at first, but when his confidence rose, he let his arms fall to his lap. He enjoyed sitting on the horse and watching the fair lands go by. When they had left the tower... He'd looked around for any sign that the Skurgs might have been lurking, but he saw nothing. He remembered the Skurgs' last words to him. By river and lake, across grass and stone, never ever think you are alone. It sends chills through his body. Talgo still did not know where they were going, or what they were going to do when they arrived there. 
he decided Dalsur may give him some information. How long will we journey for? Dalsur pointed a long finger upwards. Do you see that lake in the distance, my boy? Talgo squinted. On the horizon, he could just make out a long, blue, sparkling line. Yes, I see it. That is Lake Rinmos, Dalsur said. It will take us the better part of today to reach there, and many more days to find the end of it. From there, we will travel many more days on the flatlands to River Ulmharan. From there, you shall see Jadir, and you may judge for yourself how much longer it will take to reach that. Is it a large place? Talgo asked. Do many people live there? Jihur overheard this and chuckled grimly. My boy, Jadir is no settlement of people. It is a volcano. Talgo's heart leapt. A volcano? Why in the world are we travelling to a volcano? All in good time, Talgo, Dalsur said. The party reached Lake Rinmos as the sun began to disappear behind the low hills, now distant since to the west. The wizards did not seem keen to travel in darkness and stopped to make camp for the night. Kilnor Whitecloak and Nalur Blackcloak set up tents while Ulmer Greencloak began to prepare a fire. It did not take Ulmer long. He had a full blazing fire going before the white and black wizards finished putting up the party's tents. The fire burns dully, giving off little light. Is there some spell cast upon this fire? Talgo asked. Of course, Jihir said, appearing from the darkness. It is a dangerous world, Talgo. We would not want to attract any unwanted attention from strange travellers or creatures. This process will be much easier upon our return from Jadir. When the wizards were ready, they gathered to eat a small meal of stew with bread. As soon as they had finished, most of the wizards retired to their tents. Dalsur Bluecloak was set to go on the first lookout, and to wake Nalur when the moon was halfway towards the low hills. Talgo stayed with the wizards, for he had more questions for him, and did not think he could sleep with them in his head. You must tell me, Dalsur, why do we travel to Jadir? Dalsur sighed. It is a long story, my boy. Talgo looked to the dark sky. The night is yet young, and we have many miles ahead of us. Dalsur stroked his long white beard. Yes, you speak true. What do you know of the wizards, Talgo? What did they tell you about us in your village? I know very little, Talgo admitted. Only that you are a magical people who live in a great tower. I doubted your existence before I came to Gilhalla. You have heard no theories then of why we are here? Talgo shook his head. No. Dalsur drew a deep breath. We have done much in our years, but the one thing we have done above all else is debate about why we were sent to this world. We all had very different ideas. Nalur believed that we were sent as warrior wizards to protect the people against the creatures of these lands. Kivur argued that we were to govern the people to provide the wisdom necessary for survival, then growth and development. Jihur thought that we needed only to observe and record what the people did, to be the guardians of history. And Ulmur believed that we had more responsibility over the plants and animals than men. And you? Talgo asked. What do you think? Dalsur paused a moment. I was never really sure. A combination of things, I suppose. But now the five of us have agreed on something. Well, at least through a vote. And your vote was against this? Dalsur nodded. 
It was, but I was outvoted by four to one, and we had made an agreement many years ago that we would abide by the results of a wizard's vote. What is it that you're against? Talgo asked. Once again, Dalsur drew in a deep breath and let the air out of his body slowly before continuing. You mentioned our magic, Talgo. What magic have you seen us perform? You killed many skurgs with a single flash from your staff, Talgo said, and you can make yourselves invisible to enemies when required. You also built a fire and cast a spell to make it have no light. Ah, Dalsur said, but we cast no spell that could make the fire for us. We had to build the fire using wood and leaves, and we generated heat by the rubbing of woods on wood. Talgo was puzzled. Are you saying you cannot make fire using magic? Dalsur smiled. I am saying that some magic is best left to nature. You are correct, Talgo. Our magic is quite powerful. We can slay a whole band of skurgs using only our staffs. We can move things without touching them, and yes, we can disappear from the sight of our enemies. We can do a great many things with the powers we have. But we cannot make fire appear from nowhere, and we cannot make waves in the waters of that lake, and we cannot make the wind blow or the rain fall or turn the earth to ice. You cannot affect the things that belong to nature, Talgo asked. Precisely, my boy. These are the powers that belong to the natural world. We call them the Jura. Jura, Talgo said, testing out the word. It was Jihur who first suggested that the Jura should be under our control, Dalsur said. Eventually, we put it to the votes, and we have spent the last few years studying how we might capture the Jura. We discovered that it is possible to do so by casting some complex spells atop Jadir. Why Jadir? Talgo asked. Is it special somehow? Yes, Dalsur nodded. Jadir holds some old magic of its own, something we've never quite understood. Someday, I hope we understand more about it. It's extremely hot and very large. You shall see for yourself before long. It may take half the day to climb it. The old wizard yawned. Well, Talgo, perhaps you should get some rest. We have a long day's travel ahead of us. Talgo started to go to bed, but a thought struck him, one which scared him. Dalsur? Yes, my boy? If you hold the powers of Jura, you will be in charge of all that is usually reserved to nature itself. What if something should happen to one of you? If one of us dies, you mean? Dalsur asked. Talgo nodded. A wizard lives a very long time, Talgo, Dalsur said. But a wizard can't be killed in battle, say. If someone should kill one of us, they would become the master of our Jura. Talgo pondered this. I hope it never happens. We must all pass beyond this world sometime or another, even wizards, and the Jura no doubt will eventually pass to others. Mayhap one day they will find their way back to nature. That is my hope. I hope so too, Talgo said, and retired to his tent. Talgo and the wizards continued their journey over the next few days, occasionally meeting other people on the roads. Some were headed to Faudrin, and when they said this, Talgo would lower his head and stay behind Dalsur, hoping not to be recognised. 
He kept on a lookout for any scurgs who may have been following them, but saw nothing. By river and lake, across grass and stone, never, ever think you are alone. When Lake Rhinmos was far behind them, they finally reached the river Ulmharon. And from there, Talgo could spot the great volcano in the far distance. It was yet too far away to see in any great detail, but already Talgo could feel its presence, as though it were staring down at the party, warning them to travel no further. Talgo felt a shiver across his body. As they drew nearer, Talgo could see that Jadir was indeed enormous. Its thick body sprung out of the ground like a huge fortress and thinned near the peak where a small amount of smoke drifted out. Talgo could almost swear he could smell the smoked fire from many miles away, but wonders if perhaps his mind was playing tricks on him. Six days after seeing it for the first time, the party finally reached Jadir. They rested for a night before beginning their climb, leaving the horses at the bottom. They will not manage the climb, Nalur Black Cloak said to Talgo. Do not worry, they know how to look after themselves for a short time. There were a series of natural tunnels that ran through the volcano, but now and then they would find themselves on the outside, walking upon thin paths at a cliff edge. Talgo made the mistake of looking down only once before he realised it was better to look up and towards the clouds. They rested three times on the way up, requiring some food and water to give them the energy needed to continue. After more than half a day's climb, they finally reached the top. A tunnel led onto a half-circular platform which looked man-made. The air was very hot and the smell of fire and ash was overpowering. There also appeared to be a distant rumbling from below. Is Jadir like to erupt? Talgo asked. He found he had to raise his voice considerably over the noise. It has done so many times in the past, Ulmer Greencloak said. But do not worry, we have been studying this volcano for many years. It is not due to erupt for another three years. The wizards wasted no time in getting to work. They left any baggage with Talgo and instructed him to stay at the back of the cavern near the tunnel. He had been standing near the ledge and looking down at the fiery madness below. He could feel the heat sting his face as he peered over. Dalsur had put a hand on his shoulder and pulled him backwards. Talgo sat and watched as the wizard stood in a neat line in front of the fire. Jihur began chanting in strange tongues before the others joined in with their eyes closed and their staffs raised. They appeared as though their minds had left the natural world, but their bodies remained rigid and their mouths kept moving up and down, chanting their spells. After an hour or so, Talgo looked upwards at the night sky and noticed that the clouds were acting strangely. They had begun to swirl above the wizard's heads, and a small ball of light had appeared in the centre. The light grew throughout the long night, while the clouds around it swirled ever more violently. Talgo spotted a few dots of colour here and there, and then saw that the light had begun to drop downwards, towards the wizards. A cold wind began to blow in the cavern, and Talgo thought that if it hadn't been for the fire, he may have found the chill unbearable. The rumbling roar of the fires became louder. Talgo chanced a quick glance below and saw that the lava had risen slightly and was bubbling more furiously than before. He hoped that the wizards would be finished soon or else he may be forced to flee before the fire consumed him. The drop of light from the clouds eventually touched the ground at the wizards' feet and quickly spreads to engulf them in a heavenly glow. 
Talgo had to shield his eyes as he watched the wizards raise their arms in the air while the dots of colour rushed out from the clouds and soared straight into the wizards themselves. The wind and the fire below roared ever greater until finally the beam of light seemed to explode and was gone, leaving the wizards lying dangerously close to the edge of the volcano. None of them were moving. You have been listening to Talgo of Foudrin, a fantasy novella set in the world of Moran by Chris Morris. Come back next week for the next chapter. 